if you've got a copy of God's Word, would you hold it up with me? You may have a printed copy like I have right here. You may have a digital copy on your phone, but go ahead and hold it up and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now, open up your copy of God's Word with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. We're going to get there in a few moments. We're in week five of a series that we're calling Habits, Six Habits that will not only change your year, but will change your life. Now, let me remind you what a habit is. The dictionary defines a habit as an acquired mode of behavior that has become nearly or completely involuntary. It is acquired because of frequent repetition. In other words, we do it so often that it becomes second nature to it. It becomes something that we do without even thinking about it. Now, here's what I've learned over 60-plus years of life. Our daily habits will either make us or break us depending on what those habits are. Now, there are a number of different habits that we need to establish in our life as followers of Jesus, but the ones that we're focusing on in this series are eternal habits, habits that will make an eternal difference. There are some habits that you need in your life that will make a temporal difference, that will make life better here on planet Earth for you. But the habits we're focusing on focus on an eternal difference. Now, the first one we looked at was the habit of prayer. The Bible says steadfastly maintain the habit of prayer. Now, why do we do that? The reason we maintain the habit of prayer is because prayer ushers us into the presence of God and it connects us with the power of God. Without prayer, you are never going to be in fellowship with God like you need to be and you're never going to experience the power of God in your life like you need in your life. The second habit we looked at was the habit of, of daily reading our Bible. James said this in his letter. He said, the one who looks steadily at God's perfect law and makes that his habit will be happy in all that he does. Now, if the Bible is our source of truth, if it is true in all that it says, and it is, then the Bible guides us and is truth for us, not only with what we believe, but, but how we live. And what that means is that you and I are never going to be able to walk completely in the center of God's will unless we are daily, regularly digesting God's Word. Now, the third habit we talked about was the habit of scheduling or or time management. The Apostle Paul told us to make the best use of our time. Here's what I know. If you want to reach your full potential, you're going to have to learn how to fully leverage your time and make that your habit. You see, you can either waste your time or you can invest your time. And I would challenge you to learn how to use your time in a way so that you're investing that time. Now, last week, Pastor Scott did an incredible job of talking to you about the habit of stewarding our resources, the resources that God has placed in our hands. 
In 1 Corinthians 16, the Apostle Paul told the church that on the first day of every week, we are to lay aside some of what we have earned to be used for God's glory and, and God's honor. There are a number of ways that we steward our resources, but Scott told us last week that when we have experienced the grace of God in our life, it changes everything about us, and it changes our desires. And when God's grace has changed our desires, he will give us a desire to give. Now, this morning, I want us to talk about the habit of gathering, coming together in the same place, in the same space as a church family. Now, I think each of you would acknowledge that the habit of gathering together is, has been on a decline in recent years. On March the 16th of 2020, I was scheduled to, to fly out of Columbia to Indonesia. I was going to meet two of our members, Matt Geary and Matt Matos, who were already in Indonesia at that time. The week before, Steve Allen, our missions pastor, had gotten back from India, and on his way, he had seen firsthand how the coronavirus, COVID, had begun to spread across the world. And that week that he was here, he began to try to convince me that I did not need to go to Indonesia. My wife joined in, and she tried to convince me that I did not need to go to Indonesia. But I was determined I was going to go to Indonesia, regardless of what they said. That is, until Sunday the 15th. On that Sunday, we had 300 less people in services than we did the week before. It was obvious that, that many people were already afraid and concerned with the coronavirus. Many churches had already shut their doors and were already worshiping virtually, but I decided I wasn't going to do that. But I did decide that that I wasn't going to go to Indonesia. And it's a good thing I didn't because I would have got on that plane on Monday and when I would have arrived in Indonesia, they would have told me that I have to get out of the country. I would have to fly back to the United States and hopefully I would have been able to get back because at that point, the entire world was shutting down. It was at that point that, that our government asked us if we would to close our doors so that we could stop the spread of coronavirus. And we did. We closed our doors. And for eight weeks, we as a church began to meet virtually. I want that to sink into your mind. For eight weeks, we as a church family did not meet in person. We met virtually. And when we started back eight weeks later, it was obvious that, that many people still were afraid of the coronavirus because many people were choosing not to attend. They were still coming virtually. And what I believe began as fear turned into apathy. And three years later, many of those people who did not come to church because of fear are still not coming to church because they have gotten out of the habit. According to data collected by the Barna Group, one in three let that sink in. One in three practicing Christians dropped out of church during COVID-19. 33% of practicing Christians stopped going to church. Last June, the Associated Press broke a story that told how many churches literally had to shut their doors for good, close down because of the coronavirus. 
And while some people have steadily returned to church services, the reality is there are many people, if you were here back then, that worship beside us that are no longer worshiping with us. But I want you to understand, the decline in church attendance isn't just because of COVID. Church attendance has been declining in America since the 1940s. And it really began to decline in the 1970s. You see, many people today believe that church attendance isn't really that important. There are many today, believers and unbelievers alike, who question the necessity, the relevance, and the importance of the local church. And our generation today has even created a new category that biblical and historical Christianity never conceived of, the unchurched Christian. Did you hear that? You see, today we have people that we call unchurched Christians. They're Christians, but they don't attend church. And yet in contrast to that, the position of the historic Christian church has been summarized in the words of Cyprian. He said this. He said, outside the church, there is no salvation. In other words, the biblical answer to the question, who needs the church, is this. Whoever wants to be saved. Now, this doesn't mean that the church membership, church attendance, church participation can save you. You see, God forgives our sins by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But what you need to understand is that a person can come to church and not be a Christian. And yet I believe that it is next to impossible for a person to be a Christian and not come to church. You see, the Bible makes it very clear that gathering together is a biblical requirement and it needs to be a habit in your life. Statistics reveal that today, People are coming to church less and less frequently than they did in the past. People who used to come to church once a week now come to church once a month. People who used to come to church once a month now come quarterly. And those who used to come quarterly, they show up on Easter and Christmas. According to research in 2022, 22% of people say they attend church weekly. 22%. 9% say they attend almost every week, 11% say they attend monthly, 25% say seldom, and 31% say never. George Gallup, the pollster, has found that the vast majority of Americans believe that it's possible to be a good Christian and never go to church. I want you to hear me. I want you to look me in the eyes. That may be what Americans believe, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The author of Hebrews, I believe, saw this as a potential problem to the Jewish believers. And he addressed it in Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to follow along with me, beginning in verse 22. He says, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us 
not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. The Bible makes it clear that the Christian faith is to be lived out together. Four times in this passage, the author of Hebrews says, let us, let us together. He says, let us go right into the presence of God. That's what worship is. And the way that you and I can go into the presence of God is through the shed blood of Jesus. That's what brings us together. Our, our common love for Jesus and our common commitment to Jesus every time. You and I come together as a church family in worship. We're shouting out to the world that Jesus saves. Then he says, let us hold tightly to the hope we affirm. There's always the temptation to give up when it gets difficult. And these Jewish believers, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish believers. They were facing extreme hardship and persecution. The temptation for them was to give up on Jesus and go back to the Jewish way of life. But it was their hope in Jesus and what Jesus had to offer that kept them going. You see, when times get tough and troubles abound and it seems like everything around us that gives us security is crumbling, we hold on to the hope that we have through the blood of Jesus. And listen, one of the things that helps us to hold on tightly to that hope is our brothers and sisters all around us. Sometimes they're, they're cheering us on and other times they're whispering in our ears to not give up. But here's what I know. It's so much easier to not lose hope when we're with other people. In war, prisoners are often separated and kept from other people. You know why? Because when you're alone, you lose hope. And I'm here to tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus trying to live the Christian life alone, before long, you are going to lose hope. But then notice what he says. He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another. That word translated motivate, in other translations, it's translated spur or provoke or stimulate. The Greek word in a negative sense means sharp contention or dispute. The word implies getting into one's face and being brutally honest. Now, none of us like for people to get in our face and be brutally honest, do we? But there are times that we need that. Would you agree? There are times that we have blind spots. There are times that we've fallen into sin. And we need someone to come into our life and say, wake up. Stop what you're doing. You're about to royally mess up. And I'm here to tell you, that if someone you don't know gets in your face and begins to try to do that, 
you're not going to like it. You're going to push back and you may fight. But if it's someone you have a relationship with, you've established a relationship with, then they are able to motivate you, spur you on, provoke you to love and good works. And then finally, he says, let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. Now, notice what he says, the habit of meeting together. And then he gives us the reason, because we need to come together to encourage one another. That the word encourage, it's the Greek word parakaleo. It's the word that was used in the Gospel of John to describe the Holy Spirit. It means to walk alongside, to come alongside in order to help. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And, and the author of Hebrews is saying that we gather together so that we can come along beside one another to encourage one another as we take this journey called the Christian life. And why do we need to do that? Because the day of Jesus' return is getting closer and closer. Listen to me. Gathering together regularly needs to be a habit of your life, just like prayer, just like reading your Bible, just like managing your time, just like stewarding your resources. The fact is, God expects every Christian to regularly attend church. Not every once in a while, not monthly, not on holidays. God expects you to regularly attend church. Uh, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians, you are members of God's very own family and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Because you're a part of God's family, you need to go to God's house. Don't miss that. When you become a Christian, when you become a God, part of God's family, you belong in God's house with every other Christian. Ray Ortland, who is the president of Renewal Ministry, said this. He said, the Christian who is not committed to a group of other believers for praying and sharing and serving is not an obedient Christian. He is not in the will of God. However vocal he may be in his theology, he is not obeying the Lord. I want you to listen to two verses from from the book of Acts. The first one is in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. It says, They worshiped together regularly at the temple each day. They met in small groups and homes for communion, and they shared meals with great joy and thankfulness. Listen to Acts 5, verse 42. And every day in the temple and in people's homes, they continued to teach and preach the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, we act like it's a stretch for us to come together as a church once a week. But these New Testament believers were coming together every day. They were gathering in the temple. They were gathering in homes every single day. Back when I was growing up and when I first started pastoring, we had Sunday school, life group on Sunday morning. We had worship on Sunday morning. Then we had training union or discipleship on Sunday night, and we had worship on Sunday night. And then on Wednesday night, we had Bible study and prayer meeting, and we had activities for students and the children and the preschoolers as well. Then we had outreach on Monday night where we would go out and we would share with the community about Jesus. And then twice a year in the spring and the fall, we would have a revival for a week, all week long. But then we were convinced by the experts that we needed to simplify things that we were asking too much 
of Christians. And so we began to simplify. We began to streamline. We began to cut things until sooner or later, most churches had cut and cut and cut where pretty much we're basically asking you to be a part of a small group and and come to worship. And yet even with that, it seems like it's not helping. It seems like it's getting worse. The church did that to give you more free time to spend with your family, to be a witness in the world. And yet it seems like that most people took the time from the church and gave it to other worldly pursuits. And is the church any better for it? No. The church is making less of an impact today than it ever has. Now, there are two gatherings every New Testament believer was committed to. The first was the large group gathering in the temple. That's where they all came together to worship. The reason they did that in the temple courts is because it was the only place big enough for everybody. And then they gathered together in small groups in people's homes. They would gather and have communion in the homes. They would would pray for one another in the homes. They would minister to one another in the homes. They would open up the Word of God in the homes. Every day they met together in the temple courts and from house to house. And yet we have a hard time one day a week. Now, why do we gather? Well, there are a number of reasons that we gather together as a church family. But for the sake of time, let me give you four, and then we're going to call it a day. First of all, we gather to worship. We gather to worship. In Psalm 34, verse 3, it says, Let us praise the Lord together and exalt his name. I want you to notice two words in that verse. The word us And the word together. God wants us together as believers to worship, exalt, lift up the Lord. Now some of you are going to say, well, I don't have to go get together with others to worship the Lord. And that's true. You don't. Some of you are saying, I can worship God out on the boat. I can worship God on the ball field. I can worship God in the tree stand. I can worship God at the beach. I can worship God in front of the TV watching virtually. And that may be true. You may be able to worship God in all of those avenues and all of those arenas, but chances are you aren't. You aren't. Here's what I know. When I'm out on the lake in a boat, I'm not there to worship. I'm there to enjoy the lake. When I'm at a ball game, I'm not there to worship. I'm there to watch a ball game. But when we gather together to worship, our focus is to be God. We come together to focus all of our attention on him and what he wants and give him the honor and the glory and the worship that only he deserves. Now, what is worship? Let me give you my definition. Worship is when we give all of ourselves, we give all of ourselves, mind, body, emotions, and spirit to God. We give it all, our mind, our body, our emotions, our spirit to God. And the reason we do that together is because we encourage one another as other people see us worshiping. We come together to worship. But then second. We come together to learn. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, They join with the other believers in regular attendance at the apostles' teaching sessions. But today's English version says it this way. It says they spent their time in learning from the apostles. 
The New Testament teaches that God has gifted pastors and teachers to equip or build up the church for the work of the ministry. What that means is that he has gifted some with the ability to be able to open up and teach God's word. And every single believer needs to be under the teaching of godly men of God. Now, you may say, I can learn on my own. And absolutely, you can. That's why we talked about the habit of reading the Bible. That's why we gave you a list of things to do and to help you as you read the Bible. But I want you to think about what it says in Proverbs 27. It says, people learn from one another just as iron sharpens iron. When we get together in our large group gatherings, worship, and when we get together in our small group gatherings, our life group, we are learning from one another. We come together to worship. We come together to learn. Third, we come together to care. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says all the members care for each other. Now, I want you to notice something in this verse. You see, care is a two-way street. You don't join a church simply so that you'll be cared for. You join a church so that you can help care for other people. We care and we are cared for. Did you know that there are over 50 one another passages in the Bible? There are over 50. We're told to love one another, to forgive one another, to accept one another, to bear one another's burdens, to be patient with one another, to be devoted to one another, to encourage one another, to spur one another on. Over 50 passages that tell us how we are to flesh out life with one another. Here's the bottom line. We are to be involved in one another's lives. Now, to do that, you're not going to be able to do that in a crowd this size. You're just not going to do it. If you're going to be involved in one another's lives, you're going to have to get involved in smaller groups. That's just a fact. And that's why the New Testament church gathered together in worship in the temple courts. And then they got together in people's homes to do life together. Have you ever seen a flock of Canadian geese fly north or south? Ever seen them? Have you ever noticed that they always fly in a V? They always fly in a V. Scientists researched that, and, and they found out the reason that they fly in a V is because when they do that, they can fly 71% further when they fly in that pattern. As a matter of fact, if a goose gets out of the pattern and falls behind, it's much harder for him to fly, and so he catches back up so he can get the draft of the other geese. They also discovered that when the lead goose gets tired, he falls back to the end of the V, and the next goose in line comes and starts leading. They also found out that, that the reason the, goose, the geese honk is because they're encouraging the lead goose to keep on going. And they even found out that when a goose drops back because they're too tired or they're injured, two other geese will drop back with them to stay with them until they're able to catch up with the, the rest of the flock. Man, we could learn from the geese, amen? And what about the California redwood? Did you know that is the largest living thing on planet Earth? Uh, redwood trees grow to over 300 feet tall, they can live for 2,500 years. You would think 
a, a tree that's 300 feet tall would have a deep root system, but it doesn't. The redwood tree has a very shallow root system, but it has a very long root system. For every foot a redwood tree is tall, it has three feet of root spreading out. And so if you have a 300-foot redwood tree, it has 900 feet of roots coming out from it. And redwood trees never grow by themselves. They always grow in a cluster, if that's what you call it. And so when you have redwood trees and more redwood trees, their roots are intertwined and each redwood tree is held up by the next redwood tree and the next redwood tree and the next redwood tree. They're getting strength from one another. Man, we need to learn from the redwood trees. We gather together to worship. We gather together to learn. We gather together to care. And then we gather together to witness to the world. I heard about this old man who went to church every single Sunday. He walked there. He was completely deaf. He could not hear a word that the preacher said. He could not hear a single song that the people sang. But every Sunday, he walked to church. And one of his neighbors scoffed at him one day and said, You can't even hear. Why are you going to church? And he said this. He said, I want my neighbors to know whose side I'm on. And we go to church because we want the world to know whose side we're on. Every time we go to church, we're saying to the world, the church is important. We're saying to the world, the Bible is true. We're saying to the world, Jesus saves. And when we stay home, we're saying the church is irrelevant. Bottom line, every single Christian should want to be actively and regularly involved in the church, attend church. The psalmist said it this way. He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Are you glad when Sunday morning comes around? Or do you sit back and go, oh man, <sighs> I wanted to sleep in, but I guess I'll go. In Psalm 27, David said this. He said, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in the Lord's perfections, meditating in his temple. I want to ask you a question. If you don't want to dwell in his house today, do you really think that you're going to want to dwell in his house forever? Did you hear me? Did we connect? If you don't want to come to church now, what makes you think you want to be in heaven where every day of every hour is a praise service to holy God. You know, some people say, can I be a Christian without being actively involved in the church? And to answer that question, I want us to go back to Hebrews. Chapter 20, 10, verse 22, he starts saying, let us, let us, let us. In verse 25, he says, let us not forsake the assembling together. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. And then in verse 26, listen to what he says. He says, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, 
There is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raising fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy us. Remember the context. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. And then the very next thing he says is, dear friends, let us not fall into deliberate sin. It is a sin to not be actively engaged in a local church family and love it. I'm here to tell you, I want you to hear my heart. You can leave here today and never come back. That's between you and God. My responsibility is to be honest with you. If you're here and you don't just love coming to church, you need to search your heart. And you need to check out whether your salvation is real. Because Jesus changes your heart. You may be right here right now and you're here today because it was your week. <laughs> you don't come every week. You just came on a bad week. <laughs> you didn't expect to get clobbered. But here you are. And you're here because God brought you here. He wants you to hear truth. If you're here and you don't have a heart's desire to gather together with other believers, something's wrong. And I want you to listen to me, you who are online. Unless you're shut in and you're unable to come because of physical health or you are working or you're on vacation, then you need to be here or somewhere with other believers. And if you think sitting on your couch in your pajamas drinking coffee is going to be the same thing as being here, you're dead wrong. And you're putting your eternal soul in jeopardy. And you need to watch out. Believers want to be in church. Do you want to be in church? If not, then I want to challenge you in just a moment to just let God really examine your heart. And if you need Jesus, we'd love to talk to you and tell you how you can find him, how you can start loving church. But there are others of you here who are regular. You come every week unless you're sick or something like that, and thank you. Thank you for being faithful to God's word. But there are people you love, people you care about, people who say they're saved, but they haven't been to church in forever. Or maybe they occasionally come and you're holding on to them being saved because of something they did years ago. And yet there is no fruit in their life today. I want to challenge you. You need to quit holding on to hope that they're saved. And you need to make sure they are. And if they are, they're going to want to get in church. So here's what I want you to do. 
Some of you may need to come and talk to me or Pastor Scott and say, hey, I need to get saved today. But there are others of you, like myself, who have people you love who say they're Christians, but they never come to church. You need to come to this altar this morning and pour out your heart to God for them. Because they're on dangerous ground. And then after you pour your heart out to God for them, you need to this week give them a call and either set up a time where you can meet them face to face or you can talk to them on the phone, but you need to talk to them about their salvation and about church attendance and why that is important. This is a big, big deal. I want you to bow your head with me. Close your eyes. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. We're going to stand. Our altar is going to be open. As God speaks to your heart, you come. Father God, this is your time. And I simply ask you to have your way in each and every one of our lives. Lord, don't let us leave here, Lord, without responding to the prompting of your Holy Spirit. Father God, please, please, please touch the heart of every person here, I pray. Amen. Stand with me.